0: This week's episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by Lynda.com and Cons Against Humanity.
1: I'm Jason Snell, and my favorite album is the self-titled debut album by Crowded House. She had a blind date with destiny, and the sound of the, hour of the girl had a truly sacred brain. Now her parents are dealing with
0: this is an album that I'm not massively familiar with in its entirety, but I know a bunch of songs on it. Because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, my mum had a Crowded House Greatest Hits. Mm-hmm. Um, and she used to play that a lot, a lot. So I know like a, a slice of Crowded House songs. Um,
1: yeah, there are five singles on this. So I think, I think four or five of the tracks on this album made it on the Greatest Hits album.
0: Yeah yeah and so i'm very familiar with some of them i mean the one for me that's missing is uh is it called what is it called everywhere you go
1: weather with you that was from what that was from their third from their third album which was actually the biggest hit in the uk that was that was their this was their biggest hit in the u.s but um their third album was their biggest hit in the uk they were they were huge in the uk and completely off the radar at that point in the u.s
0: i love that song
1: yeah, that's a, that's that that album. I don't like that album as much, but the the heights on it are really high. There are some just amazing singles on that on that record.
0: And we'll talk. I want to talk about the singles, your favorite tracks from this album, a little bit later on. But when I approached you uh, to ask you about this, what initially came to your mind for your favorite albums, and why did you pick Crowded House?
1: So okay, okay so here's the challenge. Uh, there are. Um, I was just talking about this with my wife. There are... You can ask somebody for their favorite artist. You can ask somebody about their favorite song. And you can ask somebody about their favorite album. Asking somebody about their favorite album, uh, there are a lot of different ways you can go there. You can talk about emotional attachment. You can talk about sort of like... Um, the I, li- I really like some of the songs on it. Or you can say, I need to view this as a whole. Because... If uh, if you were saying what's your favorite short story collection, you probably wouldn't choose a book with one good story in it, but you really love that story because the rest of the book might be disappointing. And so I went through a lot of a lot of my favorite artists. I, I'm not sure I feel like I have an attachment to one of their albums because the, the, you know there are good songs on them, but there's also a lot of junk on them. Peter Gabriel is like that. I love Peter Gabriel, but I don't think he's ever done a completely consistent album that i would hold up there as like oh that's the one not even so which has all the huge hits on it like sledgehammer and and uh, don't give up and big time and it's just it's not that consistent so i have to discount those um so i ended up thinking of albums that i that i i think of as like wow that's a really good album and i came up with a little bit of a list there and then i started to think about like the ones that have spent that have that sort of uh have an emotional attachment for me, or that I've spent a lot of time with, um, just in order to, to whittle it down. Um, you know, I, 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 considered U2, either the Joshua Tree or Octone Baby. I considered The Bends by Radiohead, but I, I, I came to that late. And while I love it, I don't have a, a long relationship with it. Um, I considered Welcome Inter- Interstate Managers by Fountains of Wayne, which is a really great album, but I, again, is more of a, uh, I appreciate it, but I don't necessarily have an emotional attachment to the album. I do to some of the songs. But Crowded House, the the original Crowded House album, I've lived with it for a long time. I still love it. I have an emotional attachment to it. They are, if not my favorite band, one of my favorite bands, and they're probably my favorite band. And so all of the signs, even though I've talked about on a couple of podcasts about my love for Crowded House... um. I, in the end, I had to I had to pick it. It was the obvious choice. Um, although I tried on various other albums for size to see if I could get away with them, in the end I I couldn't. Uh, I, and I couldn't I I couldn't just find any of those Peter Gabriel albums. And this leaves us back where we back where we started, which is the one that I immediately thought of when you asked me, which is Crowded House from 1986.
0: One of my say, the, the phrase "one of my favorite bands is Crowded House." I don't think is a very
1: frequently said you don't know the people i know oh yeah (laughs) i was on the crowded house mailing list (laughs) i ran the crowded house uh, a crowded house fan site with a friend of mine for a while in college um so i know those i know those people i actually think it's funny um if you if you also you don't know very many australians or new zealanders because you would get many more answers from from them but uh, we're we're out there. I mean, Neil Finn, who is the the prime mover in Crowded House, is is appreciated, I think, uh, by most people who write about music. Most music critics appreciate him as a, a fantastic pop songwriter. Um, he's done a bunch of solo albums as well as the Crowded House stuff, and uh, yeah, he's he's a brilliant songwriter. So, uh, he, uh, critically acclaimed, I would say, and had 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 their moments. In the uh, in the '80s, and uh, I, I think uh, Neil Finn's solo album from the early '90s is pretty great too. Um, but much bigger in you know in, on the home turf in New Zealand and Australia than in the UK and the US. Certainly, certainly in the US, yeah. I think they're yeah. not they, they're viewed as a one hit wonder. I think in the US, but like I said, in the UK, they they had a, a much greater success because at the at the period where they were releasing their later albums. Um, the pop, the pop music charts in the U.S. had just shifted to you know it was it was the grunge era. There there was a, a beetle beetle influenced sparkly pop was no longer, um, no longer the flavor, and it was still the flavor in the U.K. at that point. And so they were very successful in the U.K. with their last couple of albums. And their Crowded House's fourth album didn't get released in the U.S. for like a year and a half after it came out. Everywhere else in the world, I had to buy an import at a record store in Berkeley. Um, to get it because it was not gonna come out in the U.S. maybe ever, and it finally did. Like I said, like a year and a half later.
0: What is it about this album, maybe as opposed to any of the others, or even any other Crowded House album, that speaks to you so much that you would give it this, you know, this high honor of being your favorite album?
1: Well, it, it's it's um part of it is is that it's it's really good. I like the songs on it. And it has survived the test of time. Um, I think, I think their fourth album is almost as good, and I think Neil Finn's first solo album is almost as good. But this is this is um, it's where I discovered them. I, I because I I discovered this very early. It's had the longest. I mean, it's the one I've spent the most time with. And unlike a lot of the other records that I listened to at that at that point, it hasn't gotten old to me. I still love I still love the songs on it, and I still love listening to it. Um, just on its own even. Uh so so durability is part of it and 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 you know the emotional attachment of of discovery of this band. I would also say that this was a period where I was I, I sometimes I think when you when you're a kid and you discover pop music and my parents didn't listen to pop music. You have that period where you're listening. Federico said this actually on your episode about what's the story morning glory. Um you have that period where you're just listening to the radio and whatever's on in pop music, and I definitely had that. I discovered pop music in like seventh or eighth grade, and I would listen to the radio. and I I, I can tell you, you know, I know way too many terrible pop songs from 1980, you know, three 1982 through about 1985, 86, and then you have those discoveries. I feel like once you've gotten the lay of the land with the pop music, you you get you have those discoveries of music that is not everybody's favorite. Uh, maybe they've got a hit song that gets you into it, but then you dive in and you discover, Oh, this is my stuff. This is the stuff I really love. And you start to form those, um, those favorites that aren't just the, whatever the, the hit is of the moment. And for me, that's what happened in, in 80, 85, 86. Um, my high school had a little radio station, like a 50 watt radio station. It was basically part of a class, but we all got to play music for two hours a week. Um, And that exposed me to a lot of music. And that that was when I started discovering, you know, that's when I discovered Peter Gabriel and U2 and Crowded House and a bunch of other artists that have stuck with me. Um, And I feel like those are the ones that I chose rather than it being just listening to whatever sort of was popular and have popularity choose what I listen to. So I think that's part of it, too, is just making that attachment of this is the moment where I went, uh, where I exerted my own um, taste for uh, music and said, I like that stuff. Like the Beatles, actually I discovered the Beatles at this period too. So I I definitely was into the Beatles influenced pop music, which is why I got into Crowded House uh, essentially at the same time that I was buying all of the, um, the, this is when the Beatles were released on CD for the first time. And so uh, my whole generation in high school was, I think way more into the Beatles than any generation had been since the early seventies, because we were there, um, when they were all, you know, new releases again on CD, and so that was part of it too. But I, I, so I think that's, I think that has a lot to do with it, is exerting your 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 taste for the first time.
0: Do you remember where you were when you first heard the this album?
1: I, I do. Um... Uh, so at my high school radio station, we had a format. You you were supposed to play, you know, play a song from the top 10, play a song from the top 40, play a song from for the top 100, play another song from the top 40. There was like a, a, a rule book. You had like a menu and you had some choice. You could choose from those what to play. But they, he wanted the guy who did the, the radio station wanted to emulate the playlists that you would get if you were a DJ somewhere and not just have every show be just kids playing their favorite albums over and over again. Um. And there was a, a there was a, a girl in the radio class. Her name was Carrie McLaughlin, and she was a. Um, I, I think she was not a very good student. I think she had a lot of um, a lot of issues. She was super disaffected and, and uh, you know kind of hated everything in a very high school kind of way. She's you know that was a long time ago. She's a perfectly normal human being now. But back then, and I, I kind of liked her, but she was just kind of didn't do the work and was really disaffected. And uh, and so all of a sudden, one day she says, um, she hand, she puts a, a single in my hand, a 45, because that's what we played. We played 45 records. It's the only time I've ever played records really in my life was at the radio station. And she says, play this, you're going to like this. And it was Don't Dream It's Over. A There's a battle
0: ahead.
1: And I had never heard of Crowded House or Don't Dream It's Over. I remember looking at the single and it said, the credit is Finn and Froome, because Mitchell Froome co-wrote the song with Neil Finn and was the producer on the album. And I thought, Finn and Froom those are funny names. <laughs> and I played the song and I thought, oh my God, Carrie McLaughlin, you are totally right. This is amazing. And that was it. And, and so from there it was, do we have any other Crowded House songs? And it turns out we did. We had uh, World Where You Live, and now we're getting somewhere. Um, and so I started playing those and... You know, immediately went, I guess, we didn't have a record store in my hometown. So the next time I went to the bigger city where they had a music store, I remember buying the the CD of Crowded House. It was one of the first CDs I got, probably like the sixth or seventh CD that I had ever bought. I would
0: wonder how anybody in the situation that you were in couldn't have become a Crowded House fan. Because don't dream it's over is like, it's just one of the most perfect pop songs.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I agree. I mean, I am I obviously would say that, but it is, it is a beautiful song. Um, I love the lyrics. One of the things I love about Neil Finn is that I love his Beatles-esque, like I said, Paul McCartney-esque Um music style but i also love his lyrics which are kind of which are very poetic they're very oblique uh he uses interesting imagery he uses a lot of weather imagery in his lyrics um i think he's an interesting poet just as a lyricist i think he's very interesting and then his uh his songwriting really hits me in 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 the styles that he uses and the and you know essentially now in the sounds that he chooses because he basically produces his own I mean, he's been doing this so long that he makes a lot of really good decisions. In this, on this album, Mitchell Froom was essentially the other member of the band, the producer, and he made a lot of fantastic decisions too. But, um, but don't dream it's over. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great pop song. I, I it is my favorite song of all time, and I think it, I think it has to go on the list of the great pop songs of the you know of the eighties at, at at the very least. And you know, it still keeps coming back. I uh, last week. No, earlier this week, actually, as we record this, um, the season finale of The Flash was on. You know, superhero show. And uh, one of the characters in The Flash gets married. It's a season finale. It's a big emotional moment. What song do you think is playing during the entire <laughs> wedding scene? It's Don't Dream It's Over. So, you know... It's still it's still floating around. I, it pops up in all these different places. It's been covered a million times, and it's a beautiful song, um, and 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 interesting in its subject matter because it's not just a you know I love you you're so great or I hate you you've made me so angry kind of song. It is a very strange oblique uh, set of lyrics on top of it. But I think overall um, optimistic. But it's not it's not a a, a simple easy song either.
0: Now, I want to take a quick break here to thank lynda.com for sponsoring this sixth episode. But when we come back, I want to talk to you, Jason, about some of your favorite songs from this album. lynda.com is the online learning platform of over 3,000 on-demand video courses that can help you strengthen your business, technology and creative skills. You can get yourself a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash inquisitive. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot slash inquisitive. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for so people that are curious or just want to make something happen. Maybe you've been putting off something in your life. Maybe you've wanted to learn how to make an iOS app. Maybe you've learned, always wanted to learn how to properly use Photoshop or Adobe Illustrator. This is the stuff that Lynda.com can help you with. You can watch and learn these videos and these tutorial courses from absolute experts who are super passionate about teaching. They can not only teach you how to use software, but they can also teach you how to use the hardware that goes with it. So like say, for example, you want to learn how to use the new photos app. They've got that in there, but let's say you want to learn how to take better photography. They can teach you the skills that you need to take better pictures. You can stream thousands of video courses on demand, allowing you to learn at your own pace. You can also create your own playlist so you can learn the courses how you want in whatever order you want as well. Also, with lynda.com, you can watch them on the go with your Android or iOS device. The playlists that you make, you can share with your friends, colleagues, and team members. Maybe you want to teach everybody in your team a great way of how to use and, use and make Android apps, including Android Essential Training, getting up and running with Android, where you can create that playlist, share it with your team, so they can help you make the Android app you've always wanted to make. These are just some examples of some of the incredible things that you can learn for yourself at lynda.com. Your membership is going to give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics just for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I implore you to visit lynda.com slash inquisitive to sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's lynda.com slash inquisitive. Thank you so much Linda.com, for their continued support of Relay FM. So it's pretty obvious then um what one of them will be I think but but what are your favorite tracks on this album?
1: Uh well the so the singles the singles are great. Um World where you live Now we're getting somewhere. Oh, please, so I Don't Dream It's Over and Something So Strong.
0: Something so strong carry us <laughs> Are
1: the four, uh, you know, the, they're the four that charted. And I th- I feel like they're all great pop singles, and that if "Don't Dream It's Over" didn't existed, um, one of those other ones would have caught fire anyway. And, and in fact, I, I think two of them were sing- were released before "Don't Dream It's Over." "Don't Dream It's Over," um, depending on what part of the world you lived in, was the third or fourth single off the album, which is kind of mind boggling. But it's it's you know it's it's slower, it's not as catchy. Um, but I love all of those, and they're and they're and they're short and they're fast. Um, and, and I like that about them, too. This is a I'm a big fan of the three minute pop song and uh, Something So Strong is 251 and World Where You Live is three minutes 307. I mean, these are fast, fun, uh, little tiny bits of, of pop music. And I think I think they're all they're all really great. And I think they all they all sound good even even today. I think they sound good, and that goes back to the production. This is this is an era where there were a lot of um, crazy synths in everything, <laughs> and I think the albums that stick out for me from the '80s are the ones that don't have them generally. So this uh, Peter Gabriel, uh, so, for example, and uh, and the uh, Joshua Tree from U two they don't sound like they were made in the 80s, even though they were, because they're not completely overlaid with with uh, synthesizers. And although Mitchell Froome is not the producer of those, that that was Daniel Lanois, um, I think it's the same sort of sensibility here, that he doesn't slather on. It, it's Hammond organ. There are horns, which you don't hear in pop music so much. It's not in vogue now, but back in the 80s, horns in, in pop music were more in vogue. So there are a lot of horns in this album, but um, not a lot of synth. And places where you might have gotten a super sparkly synth, like from a Howard Jones album or something like that, the Hammond organ tends to be what you hear. Which I think, and it's in there's a Hammond organ solo in "Don't Dream It's Over," and uh, I think that's great because that makes it sound like it's from the '60s. That is a very '60s sound, not an '80s sound. So I think I, I like that about all these. That they're they're almost like they fell through a, a wormhole from the from the '60s. This is an album that was just never discovered in the '60s that was re released in the '80s. It feels like that a little bit.
0: And then, interestingly, um, even though it's got the '60s feel, it feels less dated because that that style of music has maybe stuck around a little bit more than the yeah. synth.
1: Yeah, I mean, saying the um, they used to call it the gaseous cloud effect, uh, the of what so sounded like, and a bunch of people made albums, some produced by Daniel Lenoir that they they were like, give me the Peter Gabriel sound, and um, and it's the also the sound in in. Uh, joshua tree but it, it's this kind of open um reverby kind of space um not super it doesn't feel super produced it feels more like a natural sound like you're listening to a rock band play in a in a in a, in a physical space and uh yeah i think that wears a lot better it, it, it's not ornamented with a lot of of the trappings of the period i mean this is an album recorded in 84 85 right it by all rights it should sound incredibly dated but and I think it doesn't uh, because the producer chose to make it sound you know timeless and strip it down and strip a lot of that stuff out and you know that that's what that's one of the reasons why I still can listen to it is that it you know it's it sounds classic it, and and I think it did at the time it sounded classic I could pl- play it and revolver by the Beatles and not feel that they were jarring. Do you listen
0: to this album frequently today or is it like a, you know more of an occasion?
1: Well, I have uh have a best of Neil Finn playlist that has most of this album on it along with a lot of tracks from the other Crowded House albums and his solo albums. So I listen to that a lot. I do I do queue it up. And the other funny thing about this is it was released it was re-released um, like 10 or 15 years ago when they were trying to make DVD audio a thing and that didn't work and um they released this album in 5.1 and i actually have i have that it'll play on any dvd player but i actually also ripped the uh the 5.1 files off of it and um my uh my music player in my living room that's attached to my 5.1 audio uh system is a Squeezebox, squeeze box logitech squeeze box they're discontinued now but it supports um optical audio out Uh, And you can play like FLAC files containing all the digital resources. So I can, I will occasionally play this album in my living room in 5.1 which is uh which sounds great <laughs> because it's got wow. the isolated subwoofer track for the for the big, you know, bass drums and, and and things. Uh the backing vocals are behind me. Neil Finn's voice is coming out of the center channel. It's kinda neat to hear it that way. It's very different. So I listen to it, that's like a little special thing that I do. And I only have like three albums that I have in that format, but this is one of them and so it's a treat to do that. So I do that some but um but yeah, a lot of it I'm just playing the playlist. But most of these songs are on that playlist because Um, I love most of these songs. Most of them make the cut.
0: When you do listen to it in the 5-1, how do you listen? Like, what what are you doing
1: (laughs) when you're listening? Usually I am just sitting in the place where I'd be watching TV, and so it's surrounding me. Occasionally I'll be, you know, if I have to go to the kitchen, it essentially compresses it down as if it were... Uh, as if I was listening in stereo, because at that point I'm at such a distance from it and I'm behind the, the rear speakers (laughs) that it just sounds, it just kind of flattens it. Um, occasionally I will do, actually I did this yesterday. Occasionally I will walk around and that's like, you're walking around inside an album, which is fascinating. Mm. It's weird, but it's fascinating where I will walk up to the front speaker and I can hear Neil Finn's voice with essentially with nothing else. It's just him singing. And that's weird because I know this album by heart. And now suddenly I'm hearing him completely unadorned. Um, but then I'll walk back away and it'll come back to being the album. And then at those moments where certain effects happen on the rear speakers, that's a pretty funny thing to feel like the background vocalists are behind you. Um, and then sometimes I'll walk back and stand under the rear speakers, and suddenly the, the the backing vocals are much more at the fore. It's just really interesting. Like you're you're able to kind of wander through your favorite album and and hear it from some different angles. I don't do that a lot, but I do that occasionally because it is you you notice things. I've noticed little effects that are in the song that are in the standard stereo version that I didn't notice before. And then I heard them in you know one of those isolated speakers, and I was like, oh, listen to that. And now I can hear it in the stereo version, but I'd never noticed it before.
0: That's really interesting.
1: It's weird. Okay. It's really weird, but it's cool. And, and what are the chances that one of my favorite albums would get released in a 5.1 uh, audio version 15 years after it came out? But they did, they did it. Just this one, but they did it.
0: So, I mean, obviously you, you own it. You own this
1: album in a very peculiar format I have it in many formats Mike <laughs> please will you tell me that was going to work what formats do you own this in? Oh I bought it on CD and I still have that CD it's in an envelope somewhere with all my other CDs because I ripped it um so then it was iTunes matched so i, I just have the digital version based on having the CD I've got the DVD audio um that's it just so it's I've got a digital I bought it on CD I never had the tape like I said I jumped straight to CD there was you know another favorite album of this period for me was um The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby and I I bought that on tape so obviously this was just in the moment where I was either converting from tape to CD or I was in a strange phase where because I was for a little bit where um you wouldn't take a chance on CDs were more expensive so you wouldn't take a chance on buying it on CD cuz if it was an album that you thought you wouldn't like and the Bruce Hornsby album. I played that tape until it broke, and then I bought the CD because I played that album a lot. Um, but I never bought the tape of of uh, of Crowded House. I just went to the CD, so it's still here somewhere.
0: And you don't have a record of it, like just as a I don't. A I
1: never bought. I never bought vinyl. I never bought vinyl. Um, I never had a record. I had a plastic record player when I was a kid, but I never listened on vinyl. I, I when I when I discovered pop music, it was already the cassette era. You know, my first. You know, a couple cassettes were probably it was probably Thriller and the Weird Al Yankovic uh, album where he parodied Thriller <laughs> were probably my first two cassettes. Um, so I never had I never had vinyl, nor did I ever view vinyl as even a keepsake. I didn't have anything to play it on. So if I had bought it on vinyl, um, you know, it's an interesting idea. Should I buy a copy on vinyl as a keepsake? But I have no use for vinyl. So I I, I haven't. A lot of people
0: frame them, you know, you could put one on the wall or something.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting idea. I have a vinyl of Peter Gabriel So, actually, and the only reason I have that is because my girlfriend in college went to Russia for a semester to study abroad and came back, and her keepsake for me that she brought, her souvenir for me, was a Russian... Uh, russian album of so so um even though the vinyl is i i believe the standard release of so um it's not like his german versions where he re-recorded the the lyrics in german um but all the liner notes are in russian so that's that's pretty cool, cool. so that's that's a good that's a good souvenir i still have that somewhere but um i don't know i don't know it, it would be an interesting thing to to get in frame but it's just never it's just never occurred to me are you typically a
0: person who gravitates towards lyrics or music
1: I I like them both, and I I feel like I almost deal with them uh, separately or asynchronously at least. And I I remember listening to you talk to I think I want to say Casey on Analog about this. Um, I don't need to love the lyrics to love the song because I do love pop songs. I love obviously I love sixties style Beatlesque pop songs a lot. Um. The Beatles influences in Crowded House, in U2, in Radiohead. Radiohead's also sort of U2 influenced. I I, I love that stuff. So you can get me with a with a great three-minute pop song in that style. You can get me. Um I can be repelled by lyrics. There are some songs that I like the music and I can't listen to them because the words are either repulsive in some way or um or I or stupid. <laughs> so I can get turned off by really bad lyrics. Um, nonsensical, meaning meaningless stuff. It's fine. I, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, a word salad is it's a poetry of a sort. Um, if they're if it's just sort of bog standard, boy meets girl. You know, boy, I love you, girl so much. Let's go drive in my car. You know, every pop, every love song ever. That's fine. It's boring, but it's fine. And 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 there's something to be said for a great three minute pop song about boy meets girl. That's fine. But if you can do both that it that adds that whole extra dimension. I'm not going to love a song for its lyrics if its music doesn't thrill me. And I will love a song for its music if its lyrics are just sort of there. But if you can do both, then that's awesome. Because that, that means that the music withstands greater scrutiny. And that's when I talked about Neil Finn's lyrics earlier. I mean, that's one of the reasons that... I uh, I like his songwriting so much is that not only does he give me the music up front, but the more time I spend with the lyrics, uh, the more I have to think about. And, you know, some, some lyricists are very direct and some are very oblique. And Neil Finn is an oblique guy. He is, he is, uh, he uses lots of weird imagery. I mean, it definitely feels like this is, this is poetry that's happening here. And sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't get it, but I appreciate the the craftsmanship and the imagery. And sometimes, it, sometimes song lyrics don't even need to make sense Um, If the images are powerful and like don't dream it's over, we could argue a lot about what the actual meaning of that song is, because I think it's I think it's kind of unclear and certainly arguable. But there are also um, just moments of imagery that are powerful and that, that sometimes that's all you need is the is is some powerful imagery in a song along with the great the great music to carry you through. Do you sing? Uh, do I sing? Mm-hmm. I have an extensive collection of uh, albums recorded in my shower. Uh, um, I do. I yeah. sing in the car. I sing. Uh, I sing in the shower. Um, I don't usually sing elsewhere. I sang "Don't Dream It's Over" on David McCreeth's, uh "It Might Get Personal" podcast, so people can look for that. Oh, it will be in the show notes. Don't you worry. <laughs> I, I did absolutely sing that, but um, but n- I and I sang. I was in. Uh, I was in choir and chorus throughout elementary school. I sang in my college gospel choir with like 400 other people. Don't be impressed, but I did. And that was a lot of fun, Um, but that's it. Uh, And, and, you know, a couple of karaoke performances in front of the um, amazing Embarrassonic at various MacWorld expo events. That's about it. Otherwise it's just lots of lots of log and lots of shower time, (laughs) lots of car time. I still have a few
0: more questions that I want to ask you, Jason, before I let you go today. But before I get to those, let me thank Cards Against Humanity for helping support this week's episode of Inquisitive. As you should know by now, their favourite thing in the world is playing a few seconds of a catchy 90s pop song and stopping it abruptly. Like this. My thanks again to Cards Against Humanity. Is Crowded House an album that you're proud is your favorite album?
1: You know, I, yes, I'm going to say yes. It's not as easy a choice as the, you know, again, I would get more cred if I said the Joshua Tree or the Benz. Sure. Um, And I love those albums, but I am not ashamed of it. I do believe it is a great pop album and that neil finn is a great songwriter and that um you know when i mentioned like he's sort of critically acclaimed i like that too because i can say look it's not just me people like him he's not like super broadly popular around the world but people like him people who know him appreciate his songwriting and, and what what um great pop songs he writes so um i have to i feel like i have to explain myself But I feel pretty good with it. This is not. This does not feel like a guilty pleasure to me. Um, I I think that that Neil Finn's track record is pretty strong. I think I think that he's written um, with Crowded House and on on his own some just spectacular pop songs, and that this is a pretty amazing collection of them. Plus, the other the other tracks are pretty good on this one too. Um, Together, alone, and Woodface the fourth and third and third and fourth album um, that they've released and temple of low men the second one too they all have great songs on them but they don't hold together I think as well as albums as as the first one does if you ever seen this album played live so in um, in 1989 in the spring of 1989 during my spring break actually and I didn't go home for spring break uh, from it's my freshman year in college I went to my first rock concert and it was Crowded House at the UC San Diego main gym on their tour for their second album, which was so unsuccessful in the United States that the tour was stopped halfway through, or maybe even less than halfway through. But but they hadn't stopped it yet. <laughs> Southern California got it, uh, and I got to see it. And so that concert, my first rock concert, um, was largely tracks from this album as well as the as well as Temple of Low Men um so it, it was both um that's the closest i would say i i have never seen them some bands will play uh will play things back to front you know or front to back they do they'll do an album show i've seen they might be giants do flood live for example which was pretty cool um but the um but the San Diego April 8 1989 show <laughs> is they played 15 songs and I would say half of them are from this album. So they, they played mean to me world where you live, love you till the day I die hole in the river. Don't dream it's over something so strong. Now we're getting somewhere. And uh, so they played, they played a big, a big chunk of it in that show. And the reason I know the set list for that is that about two years ago, somebody on the internet sent me an email randomly out of the blue who said, Hey, I, I, I heard that you like crowded house. Um, and, and I don't even know where they heard this, but it's like and the, and that um that you went to this show um here's a dropbox link with the complete uh, soundboard recording of your first rock concert from nineteen eighty
0: nine so that's the soundboard recording is when they basically record what the instruments are going into the into the p a system right
1: yeah into the it's what comes out of the p a system, yeah, 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 so i have I now have a recording of my first rock concert, which is that crowded house from nineteen eighty nine does that sound good? Like, does it sound pretty good? Yeah, it sounds pretty good. It sounds pretty good. I mean, live, I'm not a huge live album aficionado, although I've got a bunch. Um, but it sounds pretty good. I, I should say, since we're talking about that, Crowdhouse was was and is because they sort of reformed. Um, and sometimes they tour. Uh, and they, and they released two or three albums in the 2000s. Um, the drummer, Paul Hester, uh, killed himself and, um, and actually that led to Crowded House reforming because Neil Finn felt like um it was it was obviously a devastating time for him as a as a friend, having his uh, his friend kill himself. And he said he decided he wanted to be in a band again. And what other band would it be? And so he, he they hired a new drummer and they went out on tour and they released a couple of albums um that were fine. They weren't great, but they were fine. And the tours were great. And this is the thing they're a great live band. They're a great live band. Um, great patter on stage, um, the bass player, Nick Seymour, fantastic, fantastic bass player, fascinating guy to, to hear talk and to watch him perform. Um, just a great, they're a great band live. I've seen them live more than any other, any other band. I've seen Neil Finn live, certainly. Uh, Neil, probably half the concerts I've ever been to in my life involve Neil Finn in some way. <laughs> um, they're, they're, but they're they're a great live band, and I say that because I've been to some other, like Peter Gabriel stuff is like a stage show; it's not spontaneous at all. And while it's impressive, it's, it's you don't feel like there's any spontaneity at all. I went to a Fountains of Wayne concert; uh, they were terrible. They might be Giants is okay, but um, but Crowdhouse that was just a fantastic. Uh live band, so I've seen them. I saw them twice in San Diego a bunch of times in san francisco they're they're uh they're they're great, so the soundboard recording that I got from San Diego does bear that out although there're there are certainly better live albums by them that I have. I have probably have fifteen different live shows from them that I listen to occasionally. aside from the radio station
0: um have you ever tried to play this album for other people like how do people tend to react to this album?
1: I don't think I have because there was the time when everybody knew it and, and had heard it. And then, and now there's now, and I, you know, I'm much more likely, like when we have people over to the house, I'm much more likely to have a playlist on that has some Crowded House songs in it. And they often get noticed, right? They often, people are like, oh, don't dream it's over. They may know that I love Crowded House and they may not. Sometimes they, I'm like, yeah, you know. They're like, oh, Crowdhouse. Do you like Crowdhouse? I'm Like, yes, I do. I, oh, I, I, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> I have, a, I have some feelings. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that but it's mostly that, and it, it's mostly that I, I will make these days. You know, we don't make mixtapes or CDs anymore. Instead, I make playlists. And if if I'm having people over to the house for something, I will usually make a playlist or or edit a previous playlist and have that playing. Um, one of the nice things about the squeeze boxes is that they they um they interlink so. Um i can have uh i can have music coming out of a bunch of different speakers in different parts of the house and outside or whatever, and they're all playing the same thing so as you kind of move through from the kitchen to the living room to the outside you can the same music is playing so I'll do that but i i i don't you know no I haven't sat somebody down and said, okay now we're gonna listen to crowded house's self titled album from nineteen eighty six i i haven't I haven't done that
0: well, you know that you've kind of just done that right
1: well to you, I guess I did inflict it on you.
0: Well, and to many other people that will listen to this show.
1: I suppose so. It's good, it's fun. I like it. I I uh I like some songs more than others. Although what I found over the years is that the songs that I used to hate, I don't hate anymore. I used to hate a couple of songs on this album and now I kind of like them because i think my tastes in music have changed i used to dislike the two songs with love in the title actually love you till the day i die and that's why what i call love both of which are much more shouty and have a little bit more of a hard edge than a lot of the sort of super sweet pop songs and um i think i think at the time i just was not uh, i didn't like harder st- stuff i didn't like uh edgier material then and now I do <laughs> now I you I know mean, I listen to punk rock now I'm 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 and Bob getting into Bob mold and uh, Husker Du got me out of worrying about that I had a friend another friend <laughs> so Carrie McLaughlin introduced me to to a uh, crowdhouse and uh, Mason Waterbury introduced me to Bob mold and Husker Du and and uh, punk pop and uh, so the the sort of shoutier harder edge on on uh, on Love You Till the Day I Die, and that's what I call love. Um I enjoy them now. But at the time I didn't like them. I would skip them. Um and now I now that doesn't happen. I don't I I don't skip them. And that's true. Bob Mold's album Workbook, which I also considered mentioning here, great album, um, ends with a super rave up uh distorted guitar song um called Whichever Way the Wind Blows that um I just would press stop on the C D player when it got to that song. And I love that song now. So, you know, tastes change. Um, but that's what's funny about it is that is that this album, the stuff I loved, I still love. And some of the stuff that I didn't love, I love now. I've actually come to appreciate it more.